Welcome back to the Swim Swam Breakdown. It has been a minute. We've seen you on plenty of other videos, but we are back with the Swim Swim Breakdown. As always, I'm your host, Coleman Hodges, joined by Swim Swim Editor-in-Chief, Braden Keith from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Ben Dornan from Halifax, Nova Scotia. How was your world championships, guys? You can call me Braden Keith, editor and champion of SwimSwim.com. Um, after my, my grueling and, and fully spirited victory in the Swim Swim Fantasy Contest, and it wasn't even that close. It was, it was pretty close, close. Between, between you two. Well, it was, not, it was not close for you, Ben. <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, the answer to how is your world championships was very twofold. I had a great time watching, great time reporting, and a really bad time tracking my team progress. Turns out when you draft four swimmers that all swim the same event, that's a terrible strategy. Yeah. Whatever. What can you do? Well, but when you when you draft relays. four yeah, when you draft four swimmers that all swim relays, I guess it's a great strategy. We're gonna start there with the fantasy draft. Um, Ben, can you just start us off with a breakdown of some numbers? Who were the top scorers of, of, of the whole draft? What teams were they on? And what does an undrafted team look like scoring wise? Yeah, for sure. So as can be expected, the top two scorers in this draft were on Braden's team, uh, Molly O'Callaghan and Tori Husk um, from Australia and the USA. They both had a bunch of individual events. They both got two individual medals. Uh, Molly won the 100 and came second in the 200. And then Tori got two medals. She won the 100 fly, bronze and the 100 free. Um, And then both of them got on four relay podiums. So key point there is that you want swimmers that are going to be on a lot of relays. Um, And they did that. And then Katie Ledecky was on three, won three gold medals. Um, so she was third overall. She got uh, 22 points. Um, she won four gold medals, right? Three individual and a relay. Yeah, three three individual and a relay. So that was 22 points for her. And then the fourth overall was Claire Curzan. Um, and she was on Reddit's team. She got 19 points overall. She only got one individual medal, but she just swam, I think, eight events total or seven events total. And was in three individual finals and like Tori, she was in four relays. So that got her a lot of points. And then, so that's the top four. And you'll notice that none of them were on my team, which is fine. But then number five was actually an undrafted swimmer. And that was Summer um, McIntosh, who kind of exceeded all expectations. If anyone knew how good she was actually going to do at this Worlds, um, definitely would have drafted her. She got 19 points, which was the same as Curzan actually. So they were tied for fourth. Um, and she obviously won the 4am and the two fly and then got silver. I think what's, what's interesting here is that none of these names you're mentioning, I guess, other than Ledecky are first round picks. And I think there's a few things that happened there. Who were the, who were the four first round picks? The, the number one pick was (laughs) McKeon. McKeon. Yeah. Kaylee McKeon. So she, she was clearly lined up for Commonwealth Games, even though she was at this meet and she swam okay. She scratched she the two back. Um, yeah. So number two pick was Dressel. He swam two races and then went home. Uh, number three was Ledecky. No, it was Sates, actually. Sates, which was a terrible pick, and we all knew it was going to be a terrible pick, and it was a terrible pick. And then number four was Ledecky, which seemed like a like a slam dunk. But I think everybody but me, I think, I think, I, you know, speaking honestly, the, the difference, the primary difference between my team and everybody else's is, is that I valued these relays 
um, especially with the two mixed relays where a sprint freestyler can rack up a lot of points and relays as Molly O'Callaghan did. Um, and I think I, maybe we'd tweak that format in the future and, and devalue relays just a little bit, but I thought that kept it kind of interesting because Katie Ledecky did basically the most we could have expected her to do um, and still was only the third best scorer in the draft. So I found that to be pretty interesting about the way we sort of scoped out the scoring. Yeah. We pulled an ISL and just overvalued sprinting. Yeah. <laughs> well, and like speaking just from personally, like I was trying to think in the relay mindset, but I didn't do a great job of doing it. Like Molly was a top pick for me on my list, but you got her first and you, you know, you can only draft one Oceana swimmer and you have the wild cards too. But um, so like I went with Michael Andrew cause I thought, he would be on more relays than he was, which again, I wasn't really thinking that logically because he could have only been on two realistically, but he had a lot of events. And then um, th- and with our last surprise wildcard pick, I valued Hunter Armstrong over Husk and Curzan because I thought they would put him on more relays than they did. And I also thought he might break a world record, which he didn't. Yeah. So, so Ben, let's, let's talk about the, uh, the all undrafted team and how that team performed. Yeah. So I'm have an article that will probably be up by the time people listen to this, but um, the top, I think the next 11 swimmers who went undrafted got 11 plus points. The highest score, as I just mentioned, was summer um, McIntosh who got 19 points by getting four medals. Um, and then Nick Fink was second. And then, it was Marchand, but so if we're just looking at actual using the continental rules, um, the best scoring team would get 99 points. And so you put Summer on the North America team, then you put Marchand with 17 points on the European team. And then the next two highest scores are North America and Europe. So those are your wildcard picks. Um, Nick Fink and Thomas Chacon with 18 and 17 respectively. Um, Oceana, the next highest scorer was Maddie Wilson. She was on a bunch of relays as well and got 15 points. Um, and then Africa was Frida Osman. She had only two points from two individual finals, no medals. Um, Diaceto, he got five points for a silver medal, I guess. And then South America, um, Guillermo, Guillermo Costa got a medal and then I think was in two finals um, and he had six points. So altogether, so, that's eight people with 99 points. So the, the 99 points, um, when you look at it at first glance, you say, oh, we did a terrible job because the, the un- best undrafted swimmers would have beaten my team. But the caveat here is that the all undrafted team didn't have to deal with injuries and no-shows and COVID tests the way that our teams did. Yeah. Um, so every one of our teams was hit by that in some way, right? Caleb uh, Dressel left early for my team. Um, <laughs> Coleman's team... I don't think my team was affected, but I think everyone else's yeah. was. Yeah. Coleman's yeah. team was not. So Coleman could have done better. Loretta lost. <laughs> Tab Laclo with whatever yeah. was going on with him. Arno went home early after swimming pretty well at the start of the meet. Shayna breaking her, right. Shayna Jack breaking her hand. So Loretta's team was hit pretty hard. Um, Ben's team. I didn't really lose any COVID. Um, and that looks like how you got hit. So, you know, if you, if you take that into account, it sort of adds a different context, like the, the metaphorical undrafted team 
didn't have to deal with an injury because an injured swimmer just didn't make the undrafted team. Um, so that's, that's part of the caveat. Somebody should have drafted summer. Uh, somebody should have drafted Thomas Chacon. I think, I think summer got lost because she was grouped with the Americans continentally. And I think the Americans and the star power, um, that comes with them is, can be sort of overwhelming. Um, yeah, but you know, she wouldn't get missed again. Uh, somebody should have drafted Thomas Chacon. I, I think I mentioned that when we were doing the draft and I was surprised that was missed surprised at how many points Nick Fink scored. Um, honestly, but those that to me, those were the biggest misses were, were summer, uh, McIntosh and Saccone and, and not because I thought Saccone would break a world record, but it was clear that the Italian man, men had a lot of relay potential. He can swim butterfly and backstroke, et cetera, et cetera. So those to me are the two we should have gotten. Uh, well, and on that note, we saw a few world records go down at this world championships. The big question is which one was the most impressive? Was it Malak's 200 fly? Was it Chacon's 51.6 and 100 back? Or was it Australia's mixed 400 medley relay by two 100s? Wasn't it the mixed 400 free relay? <laughs> I'm sure, I don't know. Yeah, mixed free. Yeah. It, was, it was not that one. <laughs> um, uh, I, you know, it's, it's the beauties in the eye of the beholder, right? Like to me... Malak's swim was great, but it was also the swim we thought we were going to have in Tokyo last year. And I think that's why it doesn't feel as impressive versus Sakone. I don't, I don't know that anybody thought he was going to break that world record and it. That world record lived for a while. Um, and, it, and he broke it pretty significantly um, swimming next to Murphy. So quarter of a second. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty significant in a hundred. Um, it, to me, that one, that's the one I'll remember from this meet more, I think. Um, but you know, Malak is getting down to video game times. He's about to go 149 in that 200 fly. And, and you'll recall that, um, Stefano Naroda, Naroda, I'm probably butchering his name, um, wrote an article that he expected Malak to be faster because he saw it in the splits where he should be faster. And he thought it was a, a going to be a pretty easy fix, um, to, to fix that. So, I mean, it's, it comes down to like expectation versus impressiveness. I think Malak's swim is probably a better swim. Um, but Sakon is, is the one that's going to stand out in my head for a longer time. I agree with you completely. I think that if you ask me who a better swimmer is, it might be a different answer than who like in one race, like a 100 back final that we saw or the 200 fly final that we saw, it might be a different answer. I think Milak has proved, proven himself more since he's broken that world record twice. He's gotten, he's the only one under 151 and he might be the only one under 150. Um, but I think that, yeah, just in terms of while you're watching it and what you're going into the meet expecting, I think Chikhan, I, I mean, he came fourth in Tokyo and that was the biggest indicator that he was next because both of those Russians weren't there, um, Rylov and Kalashnikov. So I, we expect him to get on the podium, but I think just just going from a 52 mid that he was just like a year and a half ago to breaking the world record with a 51.60, I think that swim is just, it was more remarkable to me. It was more jaw-dropping and exciting than Milok breaking his own world record, as impressive as that is. And 
I'm not saying that that Chacon is is surpassing Milok in the all-time rankings yeah, of, of swimming, but why aren't you no, I won't say that. I'll say that when he when he breaks his own world record again and swims a 51-2 or something. But what about when he breaks the world record in the hundred fly? Also, yeah, that's the other thing. He came fifth, I think, in, in one of the butterfly events. So, so that was also pretty impressive. But yeah, no, I think Chacon was more exciting, um, and Milok. Milak was also very exciting, but yeah, I, I just, I went for check on. I was more excited by that. I mean, I, that was the thing is that I thought Milak was going to really gun it for the world record in the hundred fly. And I kind of thought he would never go a best time in the 200 fly again. Like 150.7 seemed pretty untouchable for anyone, even him at a point, right? Like he didn't yeah. do it in Tokyo. And obviously the lead up to that affected people, but it was just kind of like, he might never go that time again because that's really, really good time. But then uh, he had it all to go point four faster is like Braden said, just a video game time. We're not giving Australia enough credit, man. They broke a world record with their a world record has fallen every time, every time that it's been swum in the last like eight years. Really? <laughs> it's, it's well at worlds. Yeah. It was like that Indiana team that broke it first. And then it's like 2015 worlds, 2017 worlds, 2019 worlds, 2022 worlds. Huh. but just to just to see them do it with not a Campbell and Emma McKeon on the, yeah. on the end is like holy yeah well, but doesn't like, that in some regards sense. say that it's still not like a peak record yes I think so I mean <laughs> and it's never well it's probably going to be one of these these swims that's never really a peak record until it's in the Olympics which, you know, the way the IOC is going, it seems like it, it might wind up there. But, you know, Jack Cartwright leading off in a 48-12, it's not a criticism of him because that is a really good swim for him. But, like, any world record relay would, that only needs two men on it, like, there are a lot of countries that can put up two guys faster than 48-12 on a flat start. Yeah. Well, and it, even Maddie Wilson and Molly O going 52-2 and 52-0 on the ends, like Kate Campbell has split 50 point on multiple occasions and McKeon has split 51 on multiple occasions. So it's like they they have a lot to, of room to grow even within their own country. This would be a fun article taking like the all-time best splits and seeing which country has like the theoretical fastest 400 mixed, uh, mixed free relay. Ooh. I, that would be a good one. Yeah. Uh, I guess it would be the U.S. Right now. <laughs> um, <clears throat> we had a couple other really interesting storylines for Worlds that just wanted to touch on. Olympic champion Ruta Melutite is, is back, right? She Did she medal in the 100? Hold on. She won yes. the 50 breast. She, she bronze, bronze in the 100 breast in, a, in what was kind of a surprisingly slow field but she got the job done and she got two medals in her first international meet a big international meet um in quite a while yeah this is i i think this story didn't get enough attention um it's it's so interesting to me that she was gone and came back um i guess you know with what she said for anybody who doesn't know she went into retirement after missing three doping tests. So she never tested positive, but she did miss three tests, which results in a suspension. Um, and so she went into retirement with that. 
Um, you do have to still serve out your suspension, unretired, getting tested, et cetera, et cetera. So we, we presume that she did all of that. Um, and then she comes back, not really sure if she's going to swim. They say, well, why don't you come to the camp and we'll, we'll think about it. She kind of comes back unannounced. Um, and now she's, she's a world champion again. And, you know, it's kind of a, a story of talent always rises to the top. And I think, especially in this country, we put so much weight into like this, and we have for so long, you know, oh, if you miss a, if you miss a week of swimming, it undoes years and years of training. And maybe that's true for a certain caliber of athlete, but I think for an athlete of her level, you know, it, it, you just rise back to the top. You can always do the work to get back there when you're young enough. And she's still a very young swimmer. Um, she's only 25. So, you know, I think, I think there's, again, something just like we talked about coming out of the pandemic, what can we learn from this with all of the swimmers swimming so fast? And I think there's something we can still be learning about taking breaks, taking rests, taking time to recover and doing that the right way, you know, taking a break, just sitting around and eating Cheetos maybe isn't the right way, but taking a break from competing and training and working on your mental game and those kind of things can lead to big results. You know, I, I wouldn't have thought a 106.0 would have meddled in the 100 breaststroke, but I also wouldn't have thought that Ruta would have been that quick this soon. So it's still a surprising swim. Yeah, I'm curious. To me, sorry, go ahead. go ahead, Ben. Go ahead. To me, it just shows, I think that the majority of swimmers want to be swimming and want to be racing. And that's the only reason that they're able to be so good. But clearly, Ruta was in a place, I don't know why you miss doping tests, but it seemed like between that and retiring, she was probably in a place where she is a former Olympic gold medalist and just probably didn't want to be swimming. And so at that moment she could make the, she made the decision to, to stop swimming. But at this point, the only reason to come back is because she does want to be swimming. So as you were saying, like a break can be good physically and it can be good mentally, but she clearly had those, however long it was four or five years and she's only 25 years old now. So 25 is not, not too old for an Olympic gold medalist to say, I actually, I think, I think I do want to swim again and I, and I want to, get back to the world stage and she did it a lot faster than most people would have predicted it so I think it just shows that when you don't want to race it's probably a good idea not to and it's a lot easier for for swimmers that like Lithuania probably doesn't have a lot of of 100 breast trippers that she has to compete with so that gives her a little bit more leeway but I think it just it just shows that she whatever state she was in when she retired um she made the right decision and decided that she wanted to come back and and it's probably paying off I, you know, I wonder how much you guys saw the, when she did the swimming in blood video, the, the Ukraine video, Yeah. Um, without being too much of an armchair psychologist, like that felt to me like her way of announcing sort of, you know, she was a young Olympic gold medalist and she, when you're a young Olympic gold medalist, um, you can kind of lose control of your life, of your past. Other people are deciding what decisions you're making about your life and that video to me felt like her sort of recapturing her sense of self what's important to her making a statement that she's going to do what she wants to do even if it's controversial um this was a, a pro ukraine video so i guess it wasn't controversial in in at least many parts of the world um but you know i i i just kind of love the the image of her doing that video and then showing up and winning a world championship. There's, there's just something about like that power um, that I really love for her. 
yeah, I mean, that, that video certainly was a statement. And I think it kind of, at least from the media side, springboarded this comeback for her of like, okay, she's not only back, but like she's back and she's here, here to make a statement. Um, I do wonder how much of it is breaststroke related though. Like since, because breaststroke is so much more of a feel stroke than I think the other three, um, how much of it is, as Braden was mentioning, just the talent, um, just the pure talent, the pure feel she has for the water. Like could someone else do this in backstroke or in a hundred freestyle? Um, so that kind of is like, well, I think we see this more in in a breaststroke setting than in other strokes, but I mean, it's still a really great accomplishment nonetheless. Um, and we saw another another athlete. Colin, why who, do you hate breaststrokers? I love breaststrokers. Oh, okay. I think it's just I think it's just easier to pick up breaststroke after Colin a while. Hodges says breaststroke is the easiest stroke. You heard it first here on the Swim Swim podcast. <laughs> Well, we all know how Mel feels about breaststroke, and I don't agree I was with his say, take on that one. Breaststroke uh, hit was a huge theme on the live streams this week. <laughs> it was. That was not my influence, though. Um, I think breaststroke, you, do, you don't have to be as aerobically in shape to pick up breaststroke again if you have a good feel for the water, I think. And that's that's that. But something you do have to have a good aerobic base for is beating Bobby Fink in the 1500, <laughs> which good was, segue. which was a great storyline. Love scene. when you rock a good segue. <laughs> uh, Bobby Fink finked the 800 free, just as he did in the 800 and the 1500 in Tokyo. But he, but he got Greg in the 1500 at this world championships. I love turning people's names into verbs. Um, Paltrinieri you know, found, found a recipe that worked and he not only went a best time in the mile, but, you know, he got out there and then was just too far out of reach for Bobby to even fathom catching him. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, Juicy Cizal, who runs our um, Italian language site, named her cat after Greg Paltrinieri. Greg is the name of her cat and she named it after <laughs> Um And he knows that and he thinks it's funny. Um, but like, this feels like a paltrinary thing to do, right? Like he, his, his whole vibe is like, I don't care about anybody else. I'm the greatest. I'm going to do it. You know, he, he was on top of the pool distance world and said, nah, I'm going to focus on open water. Cause I think I could be the best. And he is apparently that now, um, he's, <laughs> he's the world champion in the biggest open water 10, the, the 10 K, which is kind of the most important open water race. Um, so it feels, it feels like on brand for him to, to just be like, I, I saw what happened at the Olympics. I know what, what you do. I saw what happened in the 800 free. I'm, I'm going to dare you to have to make up how, how much did he have to make up on the last hundred six seconds? Yeah. Seven, I mean, he was, seconds. he ended up. Yeah. Um, and, and for him to just be like, you know, come get it, Bobby. I, you know, it's, it's one of these things where when you think about these swimming intellectually, it should just be, you swim a race to swim the best time you can swim. Whatever anybody else does shouldn't impact you. Right. But we know that in reality, that's not how it, how it works. 
people panic, people get out of their, their zone. Um, it's a lot easier to reel in a guy that you can see than a guy that you can't see. Yeah. So he was six and a half seconds back, um, going into the last 50, he was, uh, almost seven seconds back going in the last 100. And, and I don't care what your closing speed is making up that big of a time in the last 100 meters of a 1500 free, just, it just doesn't feel doable. Um, and you know, at the end of the day, when you look at the splits, they were about even over the last mm, go going into the, sorry, I said that wrong. I was looking at the wrong split. So he was six, six ahead going into the last 100 and um, Bobby made up two and a half in the last 50. So like how much more can you possibly make up against a swimmer like Paul Trinieri, who's training for the 10 K um, in 50 meters or in hundred meters, he didn't make up any on the first half of that last 100. And how much can you really expect to make up? You can't do that. Like nobody's wheels fall off the bus that badly in a freestyle race. You could maybe see it happen in a 200 fly. If you're racing against Chad Leclo, um, like that's possible, but not in a freestyle race. Like people's wheels just don't fall off that way in a freestyle race in, in, in open water, which Greg is, is training for and focused on in his words. Um, it's all about that last sprint. Like there's never a separation until the last sprint. There's never anybody that just goes out and takes it. So he's got the endurance to be good in that last sprint. Um, and he was, well, and which is, I love it. Which is funny because Greg doesn't really have that much closing speed in the 1500, you know, right. and, uh, compared to his contemporaries of Romanchuk and Welbrock and Fink, like they're all significantly always faster than him on the last 50. Which is what happened in the 800. He was, I think, third and then couldn't hold on and get into that top three um, in that 800. Because he closed in at 28.6, which is still good, but the rest of them were 26s. Uh, so if you're four. him, if you're him and you know that's true, what else are you going to do besides just say, well, let's see what happens over the yeah. first 1,400 and, and whatever happens, happens? Because he knows he's got the best 1,400 in the world, right? Like he knows – he just, he knows he can just put in the pace and, and do that. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I love the strategy. I think it's great. I don't know if he's ever going to get that Sunyang world record. Um, I don't know if this is going to be like the top of the mountain for him. Um, but I love that race. I love the way he swam it. I thought it was fun. I, I hope it was in his mind to do that because he knows how Fink likes to swim his race. I really hope it, that that's how he was thinking about it because everybody else is. <laughs> And now, like, international distance swimming, to, to, to me at least, has never been more exciting, right? Yeah. You have this group of juggernauts uh, where we've all seen them win on the biggest stages, and we've all seen them lose on the biggest stages at this point. So when they get in the heat, you don't know what's going to happen. And we've seen them all on Ben Dornan's fantasy team, <laughs> most importantly. Shout out to Lucas Martins. Dude, and we, dude, Lucas didn't even show up at this up. meet. If this was a dynasty meet, he would have been a great pick. Unfortunately, it's not, and so he's a terrible pick. Yeah, but I mean, so he, like, yeah, again, the international men's distance in a great spot. And with that, yeah. it's time for sink or swim. First up today on sink or swim, this is more of a choose your own aquatic adventure. 
we've had a lot of recent coaching hires in the NCAA. And I'm just curious to know which one is your favorite so far. Uh, I really like the Matt Bow hire um, at Cal. I think at a place like Cal, when you lose an assistant, it, it can it can both be a rat race because everybody knows that that's a springboard job. Like your next job after that is a power five head coaching job. Um, and, and I also think it can be hard to get a really, really qualified person there because you're not competing for the top assistants, right? Like you're competing against, um, you're competing with head coaching jobs for that role. Cause whoever that is, it's either going to be an assistant at a place like Cal or Texas or one of these top three or four programs, or they're going to be a head coach somewhere else. Um, and so to land that and have, for that matter, have Hunter Armstrong come there with them um, in that Cal backstroke group and just sort of add a little life to that group, I think was a coup for Dave, Dave Durden. And let's just take a pause there. We're clearing this up once and for all, Braden. Is it Bow? Is it Bowie? Is it Bowie? We find out here. So the name saga, it's become quite the debate over there, I see. Um, I'm over here in England, just visiting my parents and um, my whole family's here. So um, interestingly enough, my brother's name is David. And when we were younger, people always thought it was David Bowie, which is actually incorrect. He's a terrible singer. He's a great doctor. But um, no, the name is actually pronounced Bow as in the front of a boat. So my name is Matt Bow. And um, yeah, I just want to clear that up for you and hope that hope that helps with things. I, th I think Coleman got mistaken because he was in Loughborough spending a bit of time with some of my friends and um, they call me Bowie just as a nickname. So I think, I think he kind of took that and thought that that was how my name was pronounced, but it's actually Matt Bow. Now that that's cleared up, it is in fact Matt bow <laughs> and not anything else we should make this a weekly segment on the swim Slam podcast people come how on and tell us how my i would greatly appreciate it <clears throat> I, I, I have a funny that. story i'm gonna go on a tangent um i i asked <laughs> i text mark uh curzon who is claire curzon's dad uh, um last week asking which syllable of their name the emphasis should be on because i've always said curzon or Curzon, and um, Rowdy says Curzan at the end. That's what I say. And it kind of bothers me, like for no good reason. It just kind of bothers me. So I texted him and asked, and this is why Mark Curzon is like the greatest swim parent of, of an Olympian ever, whereas most of them are, are emailing us, hey, you didn't link to my swimmer's bio in the article and stuff like that. He says, I don't know, which one sounds cooler? <laughs> and he, he said i'll ask my dad i think i told rowdy to say that two years ago to, to pronounce it that way but turns out they don't really have a strong preference that's a good attitude for last yeah. name. i'll ask oh, anyway. my dad fun, fun name story it's sometimes there's just no right answer mark curzan what a boss yeah uh ben best coaching hire so far in this offseason um yeah boy just for fun, I'm going to cheat and say, not a hire, but a promotion, maybe. I think that the um, Neil Versfeld and my, God, my chair just started falling, so I hit the lever. Um, Neil Versfeld and Stephanie Williams Moreno for Georgia. I think that it's always interesting when a uh, like famous, amazing head coach like 
like Jack retires and then one of the assistants moves up. But I think seeing the dynamic of how that, that team is now going to split, we don't know how much it's going to split in terms of training and what they do together, but going from a head coach of a men's and women's swim team to having a women's coach and a men's head coach, you know, you have to assume that Versfeld has relationships and, 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 uh, uh, relationships with people on the women's team and vice versa with Williams Moreno and, um, swimmers on the men's team. So I think seeing how that dynamic shakes out, um, and seeing if they can kind of continue on with what Georgia has had going over the last, I mean, 40 plus years that Jack's been there. Um, I, I think this is a good narrative to discuss further because there seems to be a thing in swimming that when these legendary coaches retire, so Greg Troy, Jack Bowerly, Eddie Reese, their expectation is that they get to name their successor. Um, and, and I don't, I don't really know where that came from. It, it seems to be true so far. You know, there's some belief that the reason Eddie came back was because he was told, um, that, uh, uh, Wyatt was not ready for head coach and Eddie wanted to name Wyatt his successor. So like this, this world where we expect, you know, Braden Holloway to take over Texas, even though he's at a top five team, but Texas is the team. And so that's still in theory, a move up that doesn't seem to be what happens anymore. You know, there, there's been rumors for years that Terry McKeever wanted to name her successor at Cal. And that's why she's been hiring these female assistants with the expectation that she would groom them to become her successor. Um, and you know, now I don't think she's going to have much say in who her successor is, but this does seem to be the way of swimming. And you don't see that in most sports, you know, you see it, you see it sometimes, right? Like Notre Dame, um, promoted from within. And that's, that's a, that's one of the, the jobs in college football. Right. And so, so they promoted from within this off season, although that wasn't replacing a retirement, but I, I wonder where that comes from and if that will survive forever. Um, we've seen it work out in some places, not work out in other places, but I do think that that's sort of an interesting dynamic in swimming where go be an assistant for an old coach. And if you hang around long enough, you might get their job because like, <laughs> why are they there? Where well, were, how, you, know? you have to believe that Stephanie Williams Moreno would have had another head coaching by, job by now. Right. Yeah. Neil Versfeld is a younger coach, so maybe not him, but, but Stephanie, you would think in, in, Again, we heard she was a front runner for the pit job and pulled her name out. So you would have to believe that for some period of time, she has had the expectation that she would get a head coaching role at Georgia when Jack retired. Um, so it's it's an interesting career strategy that you can take on. You know, Tyler Fenwick is probably not going to take over for Todd DeSorbo at Virginia because they're of fairly similar ages and that's too far into the future. But, you know, if you go be an assistant and impress a, a, a big time head coach that can pay off, that can, it's probably an easier path to one of these jobs than going to try to take over a program and building it into a top five, like Arthur Albiero has done, or like Braden Holloway has done. Yeah. But then you kind of, you know, you're building your own legacy rather than following in someone else's, which can be <laughs> pretty challenging. Yeah, on its own. It doesn't come with the same paycheck. Is the thing. <laughs> if you secede Eddie Reese or Jack Bowerly, you're not going to make as much of them, but you're working on their pay scales. That's true. Uh, 
So moving on, one of the biggest stories from World Champs was heading into World Champs was Shayna Jack of Australia. She obviously broke her hand half-ish way through the meet, had to pull out um, in a freak accident warm-up. She's already back in the gym three days after surgery, which is nuts. Pretty crazy. Um, and with Commonwealth Games just 30-ish days away, do you see her meddling in Birmingham? I'm going to swim this. I'm trying to think of who in the Commonwealth would compete with an Australian one, two, three in this 100 free. Um, and it's Penny. Penny. How did she, how was she at Worlds? She came fourth pretty good in 100. Yeah. Yeah. Freya Anderson. It does feel to me like the Canadians were more focused on Worlds than Commonwealth Games. Um, that's just yeah. me reading the tea leaves. Definitely more focused on Worlds than the Australians. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I think it's entirely within reason, especially in the 50 free, um, to me, if she's back in the weight room already, like that's, that's what she needs to be doing to prepare for the 50. Um, so I think I assume we're talking individual medals. So I think I'm going to swim that she'll medal in at least the 50 at the Commonwealth games among Commonwealth swimmers. Anna Hopkin was seventh at worlds in the 50 free, um, Emma Chelius from South Africa was ninth and that's it from the semifinals. So there's, there's really not a lot of competition with, for Australia in that 50. Yeah. She can be off her best and still get a medal. So is that a swim for you as well, Ben? Yes. Yeah, swim for me for sure. Yeah. I, I think she's dealt with, uh, an enormous amount of adversity <laughs> thus far in her career. And so I doesn't, if, if her and her coach and her team think that she will be back for Commonwealth games, I see her, she just had the meat of her life at Australian nationals. She looks good from the swim, relay swims she had at worlds. I, so I think she'll be on form, um, in Birmingham at Commonwealth games. And I think she'll be able to get on a podium. And I think this is a good reminder to our friends in Australia who, like to like to talk about how the Commonwealth Games are essentially a better meet than the World Championships this year. That while there will be many great swimmers at the Commonwealth Games who will be focusing on the Commonwealth Games maybe more than they have in the past, um, and and even lots of swimmers who didn't go to Worlds at the Commonwealth Games and will probably win medals there. The the depth is where it becomes. You know, there are, there are instances where you can say, oh, this is going to be more fun than Worlds. But on a holistic point of view, the fact that we're all saying who's going to stop Shayna Jack and her broken hand from meddling in the 53 at the Commonwealth Games shows you why Worlds is still the, the pinnacle alpha meet of the year. Yeah, and as we saw at this year's Worlds, there's just more surprises at, at a World Championships than at Commonwealth when it's really five countries competing for medals and then a few like single swimmers from a different country. I think uh, Shoemaker will be one of the peaks for Commonwealth, just seeing where she's at right now. But um, yeah, and PD, PD coming back, seeing a lot of broken, Scott. broken limbs. Duncan Scott, yeah. <laughs> a lot of broken breaststrokers. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tatiana's not broken. She's just chilling. She just skipped. <laughs> yeah, which is totally fine. Um, but now on to the real meet that we're all looking forward to post world championships this summer, us nationals in Irvine, <laughs> mm -hmm. which I know our international audience will deeply appreciate. 
Um, I, I'm curious, just pure speculation at this point. We don't have psych sheets. We don't have no idea if people who are at Worlds will be at Nationals. I'm sure a lot of college programs will kind of focus their summer around Nationals. Mel said every single day on the live stream that USA Swimming is doing it up big. We got VIP. We got two, two VIPs. I hate <laughs> listening to Mel talk about USA Swimming. VIP. Because I just assume everything is like Tim Hinchy told him to say it. <laughs> uh, that's fair. Uh, so with, with all that being said. Open bar. Open bar for the athletes. Just kidding. Um, they're doing an open, but they did it. They did an open bar at the um, the new FINA athletes committee announcement event today. That's how they tried to entice the media to show up. Free Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> did we send someone? No. Uh, <laughs> so sink or swim, we will see at least one American record get broken in Irvine. I am going to sink this. I don't think anybody will. I think a lot of the the American world's team swimmers are going to show up, especially the postgrads. Maybe we'll see some of the college swimmers taking a break before um, the NCAA season starts because that can be kind of a grind. But with no ISL coming up and sort of an opportunity in the fall to take a break if they want to, um, I think we'll see a lot of the world's team swimmers show up. Um, if we do see it, I see two plausible places i could see the women's 100 back and that's if if katherine burkoff is frustrated that she didn't get the 100 back at worlds she only got the 50 back shows up and pops something stupid in the 100 back um or the 400 im just because at this point i have so much faith in everything the sandpipers are doing she was a 432 at worlds the record is what Sorry, Katie Grimes was 432. Sorry, what did I say? You just didn't say a name. Oh, Katie Grimes was four. Okay, Katie Grimes was 432 at Worlds. Katie Hoff has the American record at 431.12. The Sandpipers have clearly mastered a double taper. I don't know why they wouldn't be good at a triple taper, too. Um, so if there are two opportunities, those are the ones I see. But I think realistically, we're not going to see it. You know, it, it could be an exciting meet because there were a lot of swimmers that skipped uh, trials or weren't rested for trials or whatever because of the conflicts with the NCAA season and their final exams and whatever. Um, you know what? I'm going to throw a third possibility in there, and this might be the best one. Matt Fallon could show up and pop something in the 200 press. I think that's a plausibility. I don't think it's likely – it's a plausibility. And then, of course, the men's 100 breast always seems to be on the books because Michael Andrew can swim fast at any moment. And Nick, Nick Fink looks good right now. So those are my four targets, if there are any. If there were stroke 50s, I, I'd probably swim it. But with no stroke 50s, I'm going to stink it. But there's some chances. Uh, yeah, I'm going to stink it too. I don't. I just like I'm kind of down on a lot of the, the world's athletes and all of the, the top end swimmers showing up at this meet. I think a lot of them will, but... I just don't see it being yeah, American I mean, I don't think record breaking. Will show up. I don't think yeah. Dress will show up. Um, but I think what about well. the 200 breasts, the Kate Douglas 200 breasts that we didn't get at Worlds. Could it still happen? 219.59, Rebecca Sony. That's such a fast time. I don't know. No. I don't yeah. think. And, I don't and know. And if she does do it, it's not going to be at an August US Nationals, I don't think. Yeah. But well, she'll probably be in a training suit, right? <laughs> well, I, I'm going to swim it. 
just because as Braden listed, there are possibilities, there's chances. I feel like it's in Irvine. Everyone loves that pool. Uh, I think people will have the chance to, to have a full summer of training, get a good taper. I think we can see one, you know, and if it's one of those four, if it's maybe the Kate Douglas tuner breaststroke, I, I, I don't know. I see one. I'm going Did with one. Did we see one. any in 2019? At the, the post-Worlds Nationals? At Palo Alto? No. Yeah. There were some fast swims. Somebody popped off something real fast at that meet. Ryan held by 47.3. What? Say that again? Oh, yeah. Ryan held by 47.3. And Maxime Rooney had a real fast 100 fly, but I guess neither of those were actually records. Yeah. Those are U.S. Open, I think, but not American. Which, it, yeah, they were, which happens a lot. I guess maybe that would have been a better question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah U.S. Open, US Open records. Last up, but not least, uh, Stanford women are on a recruiting roll this week, number eight and number 16 on our top 20 for 2023. Women have uh, committed, have announced their verbal commitment to Stanford this week. I'm curious, looking into your crystal balls, do you see Stanford winning a national title on the women's side in the next three years? This is a super hard question, I think. I think it seems like deceptively easy. Um, the next two years, it's – so Virginia beat them at NCAAs by 160 points, give or take. Um doesn't they don't graduate a ton they bring in good talent um stanford doesn't graduate much if anything they bring in good talent stanford has an incredible class of 2022 both of these schools are going to continue to recruit huge um but if you start doing the math you know what's claire kurzan worth she's worth 50 or 60 points um what is charlotte hook worth she's worth 30 to 40 points. So, so you're looking at 90. What is the rest of that class worth? 20 to 30 points. So you're looking at 120. And it, and it again just highlights how far ahead Virginia is right now. Um, Kate Douglas only has one year left. Uh, so that's sort of where Stanford's gap is, uh, unless she sticks around for a fifth year. If Kate Douglas sticks around for a fifth year, I don't see Virginia losing, if only because of late Stanford hasn't gotten much out of the back end of their roster. They haven't really found a hidden gem or two and, and not a hidden gem as in a woman who comes there with a one Oh five breaststroke and goes to 57, but those kind of 30 to 40 to 50 range swimmers who can compete for individual NCAA titles. They haven't done much of that. And Virginia has done a little bit more of that. Um, and so to me, if Kate Douglas stays for her fifth year, Stanford does not win in the next two. Um, I think their opening is in three years. I think that's the year when Reagan Smith and Tori Husk are seniors, when Claire Kurzan is a junior, um, Charlotte Hook is a junior. I, to me, that's the, that's the opportunity. My answer is going to be swim. I think they win the 2025 NCAA title? Is that the right one? Yep. I think that yeah. that's the one they win. Did we ever find out how many years Taylor Ruck has left? It's like two one. more years? One? Only one? Okay. One. So next um, year's her last year. Next year's her last year. Okay, I'm not going to try to um, out-talk Raiden on that point because I am 
not as good at analyzing collegiate swimming. So I'm also gonna, gonna swim it just because I agree with everything that Braden said. I miss Loretta. She would have sunk it just because I said swim. Well, I'm going yeah. to. <laughs> uh, but I'm gonna sink it because yes, yes, Virginia is still really strong, but with the influx of like Charlotte and Claire, and I think Tori coming off of the worlds we just saw her have, she's going to have a much, much better NCAA since she did her freshman year, which was not a bad NCAA. She got like second, second and ninth or something like that. Second, third and ninth, something like that. Um, but I think we're going to see some of those Virginia points finally get eaten up by those Stanford swimmers um, where we might see them place, you know, their top scores are going to go down in stock. Um, Kate Douglas is going to, I think, really be challenged by Tori or Claire in at least one of her primary events, if not more, um, which we've seen her come out on top before. We've seen her not come out on top before. Um, I think uh, Alex is probably going to stay pretty dominant. Um, but I think Charlotte Hook will be right there in two to three events. Um, and then with, with the relay pieces they have, especially with Claire and Tori and Taylor Ruck for that final year, I don't know. I think, I think they can pull it out. That's a lot of year. bodies. That's a lot of personalities. This, this feels like, this feels like Shaq and Kobe on the Lakers. Right. And, and I don't know if Swimming has that like 2004 same. Lakers. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and Phil Jackson was managed it and won a bunch of titles um, just like he did in Chicago. And I, you know, Swimming doesn't have quite the same dynamics as basketball, but I don't think we can overlook the, that piece of it that Stanford has two coaches to give all of those, all of those swimmers have Olympic ambitions um, and Stanford has two coaches to satisfy them all. And that's, Ooh, that's tough. So that's, Great. that's our, but it's two what? coaches. <laughs> two coaches. So that's our crystal ball. And that is the swim swim breakdown for the week. Stay tuned every week for your week's news in swimming. And shout out to Justine Fede, who emailed Braden with a very thorough multiple tab spreadsheet. Um, she kind of broke down every athlete that, you swam an event and got to like a final, I guess, um, at world championships, breaking down everyone's scores, both drafted and undrafted and saved either myself or Barry Revson, a lot of work in calculating all of those scores. Um, so shout out to Justine. You have a great future in Excel and coding and all of that. It was, it was pretty and cool. Swimming. And swimming. If you're a swimmer. <laughs>